You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. Another security company discloses a brush with a threat actor behind Solarigate. Advice on hardening Microsoft 365 against that same threat actor. Chimera turns out to be interested in airlines as well as semiconductor manufacturing intellectual property. Former President Trump's last executive order addresses foreign exploitation of infrastructure as a service products. Joe Kerrigan looks at hardware key vulnerability. Our guest is Chris Ang from Vericode with insights from their State of Software Security report. And investigation of that laptop stolen from the Capitol continues. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, January 20th, 2021. Malwarebytes has disclosed that it was hit by the same nation-state actor implicated in the SolarWinds breach. Note that this isn't another victim of the SolarWinds supply chain compromise. Malwarebytes doesn't use SolarWinds. But rather, another victim of the same threat actor. Malwarebytes said, quote, Evidence suggests abuse of privileged access to Microsoft Office 365 and Azure environments. End quote. They added that the Microsoft Security Response Center alerted the company to the problem. The damage seems to have been confined to a limited subset of internal company emails, and there was no evidence found to suggest that on-premises or production environments were compromised. Those interested in hardening themselves against this sort of activity would do well to consult some advice FireEye's Mandiant unit published yesterday, They outlined protective measures available for use against the threat actor they track as UNC-2452, and they concentrate on the attack vector that runs through Microsoft 365. Mandian addresses four basic approaches UNC-2452 has used. First, they steal Active Directory Federation Services token signing certificate and then forge tokens for arbitrary users that enable them to authenticate themselves into a federated resource provider as any user whatsoever, with no need to get that user's credentials. 
Second, they modify or add trusted domains in Azure AD to add a new federated identity provider that the attacker controls. The result also enables tokens to be forged for arbitrary users. Third, they've been able to compromise credentials of on-premise accounts synchronized with Microsoft 365 and specifically accounts with high privileges, with obvious consequences for their access to targeted organizations. And fourth, they've added new applications or service principal credentials to backdoor an existing legitimate Microsoft 365 app in order to use such privileges as that app may have. Mandiant notes in a by-the-way fashion that these things have been done by UNC 2452 and others, and FireEye has kept its attribution of the threat actor ambiguous, so who knows how many groups may be active. FireEye did say last week that identifying the principal threat actor as Russian is plausible from what we've seen, which agrees with public assessments by U.S. officials. Attribution takes time, but signs point to Russian intelligence services to one of the cozier members of Huggy Bear's sleuth. NCC Group and its Fox IT subsidiary have found that a Chinese threat actor hitherto known for collecting against Taiwan's semiconductor industry has a much more extensive target list. The targets are now believed to include airlines and where the attack on semiconductor company networks aimed at intellectual property theft, the airlines are of interest because of the personal data they hold. Apparently, the group is seeking to collect information about individuals of interest and also to harvest such credentials as may be available to them. SciCraft researchers called the group Chimera, and they say it uses its take in credential stuffing and password spraying attacks against the individual's organizations. Former U.S. President Trump yesterday issued an executive order outlining measures to control foreign malicious use of infrastructure-as-a-service products, The EO, whose title is Executive Order on Taking Additional Steps to Address the National Emergency with Respect to Significant Malicious Cyber-Enabled Activities, is designed, Reuters reports, to restrict transactions between cloud service providers and foreign customers likely to misuse such services for cyber attacks. The Secretary of Commerce was given the leading role, directing the Secretary to propose for notice and comment regulations that require United States IAAS providers to verify the identity of a foreign person that obtains an account. Commerce is expected to coordinate its work under the executive order with the Secretary of Defense, the Attorney General, the Secretary of Homeland Security, and the Director of National Intelligence. Then National Security Advisor Robert C. O'Brien explained the motivation for the order as follows. Quote, foreign malicious cyber actors threaten our economy and national security through the theft of intellectual property and sensitive data, and by targeting United States critical infrastructure. By gaining access to United States IAAS products, foreign actors can steal the fruits of American innovation and prepare destructive attacks on our nation's critical infrastructure with anonymity. Malign actor abuse of United States IAAS products has played a role in every cyber incident during the past four years, including the actions resulting in the penetrations of United States firms FireEye and SolarWinds. What the new administration will do with the order isn't known. President Biden was inaugurated a few hours ago. Presidents may cancel predecessors' executive orders, but they also may and often do keep them in force. 
President Trump's 11th hour EO, for example, cited in its first paragraph an executive order President Obama issued in 2015. Administrations change, but a lot of challenges endure. Prominent among those challenges, in cybersecurity at least, is the sort of abuse committed in the Solorigate incident. The Philadelphia Inquirer reports that Riley Williams, an alleged participant in the Capitol riots of two weeks ago, has now been charged with felony theft in connection with the taking of a laptop from U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's office. Ms. Williams had been charged Sunday with misdemeanors involving disorderly conduct and illegally entering the Capitol. The possibility that Ms. Williams took the laptop with the intention of offering it to a third party who would subsequently sell it to Russia's SVR remains under investigation. That particular sale is said to have fallen through when the middleman, woman, or persons withdrew from the deal for unknown reasons. As they say, investigation continues. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. The team at Veracode recently released their 11th annual version of their State of Software Security Report. Chris Eng is Chief Research Officer at Veracode, and he joins us to share their findings. Chris, welcome to the CyberWire. Thanks. Great to be here. Well, let's get started with some basics here. Um, This is your 11th time around with this State of uh, Software Security Report. Uh, So uh, what were some of the uh, outstanding things that you found this time? Well, the, just for a little bit of background, uh, you know, this is uh, the biggest security report of software of a- anywhere that I know about. Uh, we mm-hmm. take all of the applications that are scanned through our platform and basically do a lot of analysis to try and find trends and 
uh, interesting things about software. There are 130,000 applications in this data set, over a million scans and over 10 million flaws. So, wow. uh, yeah, so it's nice to be able to kind of see what's happening, what's the current state of things out there, and, and you know, how is software security getting better uh, or in some cases worse? Um, you know, so this time we found, uh, you know, probably unsurprisingly, uh, most applications do have security flaws. Three quarters of them had at least one. Uh, but most apps don't have severe vulnerabilities. Only about a quarter of them had a high or critical severity flaw. Uh, but one thing that's still an issue is uh, is how people are getting after fixing those flaws. Um, half of security findings are still unfixed uh, six months after discovery. And so we spent a bunch of time going into some of the factors that may correlate with better or worse fixed times. And, and we spent a little bit of time on that as well. You know, this is your 11th version of this report. Are there any big picture trends that you all have been tracking over time? Well, we're always looking at kind of a breakdown of uh, the categories of flaws that that we see. And, um, you know, I can go back to volume one and we are still seeing the same uh, types uh, and categories of flaws as we were uh, back then. What we are seeing, you know, is a change in you know, language selection, as you might expect, like native applications like C++ apps are declining, whereas web applications are becoming a lot more prevalent. And so the types of vulnerabilities that are that are present in web apps are obviously increasing. But um, even though we haven't kind of as an industry managed to eliminate entire categories, I think the reason for that is, you know, going back to our first volume of this, this was a time when companies were just you know, uh, applying security testing to their most high-profile applications, right? Maybe their five or ten most important applications. But but these days, you know, every company is a software company, and every company has hundreds, if not thousands, of applications. And so, what they've been able to do over that time is 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 to scale this type of testing across their entire software portfolio. And so, you have applications now that are being scanned that that have never been scanned before. Uh, and, and there's a lot of catching up to do. So the industry is definitely maturing, and we can see that just in the growth of of the activity, right? I mentioned 130,000 applications in this volume. The previous volume, just a year ago, was around 80,000 applications. So you're seeing this immense growth in um, how seriously companies are taking security and how well they're baking it in um, to their process. That's Chris Eng. He's Chief Research Officer at Veracode. We're speaking of their State of Software Security Report. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host, 
over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Uh, interesting story from the Hacker News. This is uh, about uh, an attack going after some uh, Google security keys, some Yuba keys. Uh, what's going on here, Joe? Right. So uh, I frequently talk about everybody using uh, multi-factor authentication. And I right. frequently say the best form of that is some kind of physical security token like the Google Titan or like a YubiKey uh, mm-hmm. because those things are impossible to intercept. At least we don't know of a way to intercept them uh, along the communication chain right now. Uh, mm-hmm. That may change in the future. But what these guys have done is they have, this is Ninja Labs, and what they have done is they have uh, found a way to read the keys from the elliptical curve digital signature algorithm that are stored on the device. And hmm. this is the, I'll say this is the keys to the kingdom. And okay. um, what that is, is if I have these keys, these private keys, then I can sign things, which means I can commit the uh, the multi-factor authentication process flawlessly, hmm. right? Now, there's a caveat here. You shouldn't, maybe you shouldn't be too worried because uh, this is a side channel attack, meaning that they're using a physical read on the device while the device is powered up, right? So Mm. what do they have to do? They actually have to get this device from you, and then they have to take it apart so they can put a sensor near uh, a chip on the device so they can watch the data moving around on this device, and using an algorithm, uh, an AI algorithm, or a machine learning algorithm, they can deduce the keys after six hours. Mm. So... The threat model is somebody's going to have to come into your house or come into your office, take the key without you noticing it, be able to Mm -hmm. disassemble it, take the cover off of it, and have, I think it was $17,000 worth of equipment. That's a lot of money for equipment. Um, Mm. It is certainly not outside the range of possibility for a very advanced adversary. Sure. Right? This is the James Bond kind of stuff that I'm sure spies (laughs) do all the time. Right, right. But, you know, nobody beyond that is going to be really able to pull this off. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to try other ways to get into your account. What is also interesting to me in this is that only certain of these security keys are vulnerable to this attack because hmm. what they're doing is they're using a, a physical byproduct of the way the data is stored on these chips. And just because you have one model or another model of this device, that doesn't change the fact that those keys still have to exist in a very real form on these devices. In, in the form of stored uh, memory, and that those keys have to be used in a very real way that that is detectable in the universe, right? That we can put a sensor near it. So I think that we're going to see more of these kind of attacks on other a broader range of devices over time. You know, I checked the Yubi keys that I have, and they're not on the list of affected devices, mm. uh, but all the Google Titans are on the list of affected devices. Right, right. Does but that I, mean I, that Google has to do something to better shield the devices? Uh, maybe some tamper-resistant technology could go in here to stop this from happening. Yeah, yeah. I can say I can imagine in the in the spycraft situation of someone, and not just uh, removing the one that you have, but swapping it out for another one. You know, if you, because you know if you if you're not using this every time you log in uh you know right. then then perhaps you wouldn't you wouldn't notice that a different one had been swapped in and within the, the amount of time that they need to to do what they needed to do but again there's such such an such an edge case here um it is. I, I don't think the the take home here is 
For me, anyway, this is interesting research. Always good to find out when there's an unexpected vulnerability. Uh, but no reason to uh, to take your Google Titans or your YubiKeys and throw them in the trash yet. And uh, and unless you know, if if it if it is, you know who you are, right? Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. right. The people who this affects, they know who they are. Right. They've already <laughs> got if, the memo. If, yeah, if you don't know, then you're probably fine. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, interesting research for sure. Again, you said it's from the folks at Ninja Lab, uh, and uh, it's an interesting read. So if you're interested in this kind of stuff, uh, do check it out. I said this this particular article comes from uh, the Hacker News. So uh, yeah, interesting stuff, huh? Yeah, I, I think I think it's fascinating. I'm always fascinated by uh, you know how how real and physical the uh, you know the things like the internet are. You know, mm-hmm. the internet isn't this nebulous cloud that's out there. There's actually computers that run it, right? Yeah. And yeah. they're all over the place. And, and <laughs> yes, they are. Clever humans. Clever humans. And this to me all is right. absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Dave. That's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.